Who thought accounting could be cool? Here we go. Here we go. Join Andrew Wall and Brad Solman. Our mission, make accounting fun. Follow us as we chat with amazing guests every Friday. Are you ready? Woohoo! Woohoo! Brad really loves that. Woohoo! That's my favorite part. If you ever change it, I'm going to be pissed off. You'll be upset. Well, it's it's another Friday night. We've got another amazing accounting guest with us. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know uh, Megan, um, she has done some amazing work both as, as a coach um, and as a, a firm owner as well. Uh, her specialty is really in the nonprofit area. Specialty. Um, she's she's the only person I think of when I think of nonprofit in in the U.S. Yeah, in the U.S. I mean, there's Bill up here in Canada. <laughs> well, Bill, I introduced Bill to Megan a little while back, and it was love at first sight with those two. They just spoke this language that I just didn't understand. It was awesome. Spirits. Yeah, they started with a whole bunch of new acronyms we didn't we didn't understand. Yeah, <laughs> it's a special breed. It's it's a tough area of practice. I mean. Oh. I've tried to figure out MPOs when I do them, and it really does take somebody who's got that experience. It's a whole new language, whole new way of doing things. It's the regulatory requirements behind MPOs that just, you've got to do it. You don't have a lot of leeway as to how to do the accounting. And you're, you know everything there is to know. How has the, the nonprofit arena been uh, through this pandemic that we've faced? What's new and exciting or not new and exciting how's it been for you um for me it's actually been really good um we were lucky that we had worked with our clients over several years to really build up reserves so they had some money in the bank that could help tide them through but it's been hard right um a lot of organizations have not been able to do the programming they normally do so their income has been really been reduced paycheck protection program was huge um and then, but I found other, you know, other folks have been able to really pivot their offerings. Like I've got, I'm working with a Irish music school and they're okay. actually having their best year ever because people are stuck at home. They're looking for things to do. They're offering lessons over Zoom. So you don't have to drive into their space in St. Paul. So they've got people around the country and possibly around the world that are taking classes with them now that would maybe never have heard of them before COVID. Right. It's been a really interesting time. And then as a, as a sector, we tend to be kind of old school and archaic. So like we were talking before, right? Folks were oh, like, like I'm not a desktop, it's fine. It's, we paid for it. It's all good. And now all of a sudden they're like, hey, yeah, now yesterday we need to move to the cloud. So <laughs> yeah, <good>. exactly. <laughs> of, and by the way, of- it needs to be done in the next four hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and how how um, has this changed your role or has it, have you moved more towards the consulting side and trying to help people learn how to pivot and adapt? Um, or is it just sort of, you've been so inundated with having to deal with all these government programs and PPP and all this other stuff that you've just been focused on compliance still in a new way, albeit, or have you, have you pivoted more towards the um, sort of consulting side of the business and the advisory side. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I have, and I feel like that's really my, my goal and my challenge. Because um, I, you know, I'm not an accountant, right? I was a theater major 
who <laughs> fell into accounting, which is true for about 40% of nonprofit finance people. And I still think one of my strengths is really coaching and training. So like I, we, nonprofits are hard, right? So I've got a team of four and we work with maybe 23 clients on an ongoing basis. That's not a lot. So I feel like I love it when I can work with other accountants because that has a ripple effect. I mean, that was really the impetus between the Facebook, behind the Facebook group I have. And, and that's really my goal. My goal and my challenge and the thing I'm struggling with is like, how do I, how do I move more from doing the actual work to being able to coach and train and like really empower a lot of the people who are on the ground doing the work, mm. right? Because then we have a much, much bigger impact on the sector. Right. Yeah. Because you yeah. can make a much bigger difference by doing far more than just getting the numbers right. Right. You know, yeah. Because if I, every time I work with an accountant who under then understands how to do nonprofit bookkeeping better, like they go out and they work with 20 other nonprofits, right? And so that has this ripple effect and the bookkeepers in those nonprofits go, oh, well, now I understand what I'm doing. And they go out and they work with more. Um, and we just have a bigger, cause like, so my big overarching vision, my mission in life is to have nonprofit financials that don't suck. <laughs> that That's can, a good tagline, I think. You know, that they can just like use to actually make decisions and drive their missions. Um, but like we were talking before, right? It's it's hard. Nonprofit accounting is hard. So. Yeah, it is, and I think a, a lot of accountants are probably a little bit hesitant to approach that market because first of all, Bill always talked to me about <laughs> the, the, the problem with budgets, right? Like they never have the funding, yeah. right? They're, they're always looking for, you know, they want accounting help and support, but they want it for free. Um, you, you know, know. I've been lucky, like those for the most part, aren't the folks I'm working with. This idea that all nonprofits are poor is a lie and a myth. Yeah, well, and Bill was clear that he, he, he didn't say that they were all like that, yeah. but he did say that there is still a lot of, they're not all like that, right? But that's still a part of the community. I mean, I guess it's just, you know, like any other business, we always face those those tire kickers who are looking to get as much as they can for as little as they can and see us as a commodity. So it's the same, you same, face the same issue as every other industry, which is how do you differentiate yourself? How do you demonstrate that you're not just a commodity and that you're adding more value than just helping them um, meet a compliance need, which for them obviously is critical because they need the compliance to be able to get generate funding and other things, right? Right, right. and we just have, we report like, you know, I hear from other accountants like, ah, oh, I do these financials and nobody ever looks at them. What's the point? And like, my people look at them, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, you know, they take them to the board meeting every month or every other month and they analyze them and they go over it in excruciating detail. So our challenge is how do you, how do you present the information in a way that doesn't get them too far down in the weeds? Because by the right. time you're presenting the the PL or the budget to actual, that was a month ago. Yeah. Right. So how do we start looking forward and what does that, how do we know we're going to be okay? How do we, you know, what can we invest in? Um, you know, what kind of expenses can we afford to do? Yeah. And I love that. that it, that's what it's all about, right? As being a good accountant is it's transitioning from, okay, the numbers helped us understand where we are. So we need the past to get to where we are, but the purpose of understanding where we are now is so that we can set a path to where we want to go. Right. Totally. That's, yeah. That is, I think the, the, I, I think so many of us in our community get that, 
Um, but a lot of business owners um, and a lot of other financial professionals still don't don't get that. It's a compliance mindset of it's it's done to, you know, file our tax returns. It's done to generate our financing. It's done for, you know, because we have to do this, not because it's actually going to generate value. And and I think that that's the transition that we as an industry are beginning to make. And obviously in our community, we're fortunate to have so many people who are on the forefront of that. Yeah. Um, and ha- and our, our true visionaries for recognizing that we need to consume data, which is the historic information to be able to formulate a plan. Like, you know, like we almost have to think of ourselves like an AI bot, right? Like let's consume the data and, and put it out an output. And the output is not where you are, it's where you're going. Right, so it's like, the past is like, okay, that's fine. Uh, and, you know, it's got to be right, right? Because if, if the bookkeeping isn't right, then we got nothing. All your assumptions are screwed and your path is going to be wrong, right? right. You, you thought you were going up a hill and now you're going off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, what does that tell me, right? Mm-hmm. And so often just the, the, the whole structure of stuff like the chart of accounts where like, if it's all just like a jumble or it's alphabetical or whatever, that it's harder to pull the signal out and say what that's actually trying to tell us. Right. And how does it translate to a meaningful way, not just to us as the accountants who probably intuitively get this stuff, but how is it then intuitive back to the key stakeholders, right? So that they can actually do something with that. Like how do we present the information, not just so that, yes, we can file a tax return, right? Which is, I think oftentimes when you talk about the chart of accounts, it's so focused historically on, you know, the balance sheet and the income statement and how we present it to the government, not how do we present it to our, our clients, who last week we, we ultimately learned is not even the business owner. It's, it's the team that supports the business owner. How do we give the team that supports the business owner and the organization information that they can use? So it's one thing to be like, okay, I can sit here and set a plan for the organization and give you all these great ideas. But if it's not meaningful to them, if they can't interpret that data when you're gone, you know, in the weeks or months in between your meetings in a way that makes sense to them, then it's all for naught. And it's like, they don't even, like, I find the same thing in my own business, right? Because I, I have done nonprofits since the beginning. I actually became a pro advisor and whatever it is, I'm an accounting consultant because I wanted to work with nonprofits as opposed to like, eh, what should I choose as a niche, right? But my business is not nonprofit. I'm a- Yeah, like, you're a for-profit I'm, business. I'm a for-profit business. And I honestly- and accountants, I, I keep looking for help on this and they all kind of ignore me and like laugh, but it's like, okay, y'all, I actually don't know how to set up my chart of accounts to get me the information I need as a for-profit business owner. And I mm-hmm. don't necessarily know what KPIs I should be looking at right. as somebody trying to run an accounting, you know, because what, like, if you want to tell me like, what should nonprofits look at? Gotcha. Right. <laughs> you know that well, but you're like, what do I need to look at for myself? myself and- yeah. And the other thing too is what what I'm sure you've learned from the nonprofits is many times some of the KPIs that you really want to track and measure aren't necessarily KPIs that are going to be reported on the financial statement, right? right? Like how many donors do we have on our list? How many, you know, what programs are going to be open? Like these aren't necessarily things that you report on a financial statement, but are critical to the success of the organization. I think, you know, within accounting, it's, it's the same sort of thing. And I think, 
you know, my I'm I'm biased towards simplicity, right? right. And so, and maybe that's because I'm simple. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I think like for for my own organization, I basically settle on three KPIs. Okay. I want to look at my number of customers that I'm servicing each year. I want to look at my net promoter score, and I want to look at my turnaround time. Those are the three KPIs that are crucial. Everyone in my organization knows everything we do in the entire organization needs to be revolved around increasing one of those metrics and like, keep it simple, stupid. Right. So the uh, support plans or the, um, the incentive plans that I have for team members are all driven around those targets, the goals that they have. And there might be a whole bunch of goals and metrics that have other um, let's call them KPIs or, or supporting metrics that drive into that. But the whole point of those supporting metrics is to increase one of these three top line numbers. And net promoter score is not something that is ever, ever going to show up on, on a balance sheet or an income statement. But if you think about the value of how happy your customers are, it's critical to the success of a business. And it's going to, I mean, it's going to show up in that you have reduced churn and more repeating business and people show up going to show up that way it's not going to necessarily be direct but it's going to show up that way yeah i guess you're, you're right it does it does show up on the income statement and balance sheet but not in a way you can go there's a direct correlation well, it's quality over quantity though you know when you've got good clients because you enjoy going to work every day you enjoy right. seeing them you enjoy being around them you love providing value it's not even like work at that point right when you right. love what you're doing you, and you love your clients so that's the thing. If, if you're attracting great clients, you've got it made. If you're just taking everything that comes your way and you don't vet them and you just take them on because, Hey, I, I want the business. I don't and, see. Yeah. I mean, your net promoter score is going to be impacted because they're, those are the customers are never going to be happy. Right. Too yeah. expensive. They're, they're going to complain. And yeah. I've been guilty of doing that too, right? Like keeping clients yeah. on longer than I should, yeah. you know, it's like the a, hardest thing that you, oh, yeah. that you have to do is get rid of shitty clients. And um, I, I was taught at a pretty early, um, when, when I started my business, um, I can't remember which entrepreneur around Calgary told me about this, but he just said, do the 80, 20 every year, get rid of those 20% of the clients that create 80% of the headaches. It's kind of a reverse view of the, Pareto's law, right? Get rid of the, the crap. And every year he, he would do that. He would purge 20% of his, of the people that were just causing 80% of the headaches. I wish I had the balls to do that. Yeah. Well, you, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta be, have confidence in, in your, in your yeah. channel and you gotta be filling that funnel pretty good to, to take. And, and, and he was because his brand, now he wasn't in accounting. He was, I forget what his business was, but he's really good. He was an established brand and he was turning people away. So he was able to say, you know what? I want to increase capacity with good clients. I'm getting rid of the crappy ones. Which it is we, It is hard. We all know when we've actually finally done that, the value of it, but it's just so yeah. hard psychologically yeah. to turn away a client who's paying you a good monthly fee, even though they're a pain in your ass. Like you see their number come up and you're like, fuck, it's him again. They're a nonprofit just trying to do like by the time people call me, they're like they're at you know, they've hit rock bottom. They're like, we really need to solve this issue. Oh, and, and they're pulling on your heartstrings. And it's excruciating to go, 
I mean, that's I'm, part of why I'm working on building capacity. Cause I'm like, okay, I can't take you on, but I don't want to just like send you out into the wilderness either. It's yeah. like, I have to help find somebody who can help you. Right. But I think about that, the thing that Jason Blummer says, you've got the clients have to be able to consume the value you provide. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, I work, like I was working with a, a client today, yesterday, right? And they're lovely, and but they're small. And small is actually way harder than big because they just don't have the sophistication. And it's like, I know you came to me because of my reputation and we're gonna have a contract, so we're gonna finish it out. But it's like, you are just not in a space like to under, even understand what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. right? Have you... Do you, have you put together um, any sort of coaching or training programs or digital, like we're seeing this as becoming a big part. Um, hopefully you'll hang out in the after show uh, tonight. We have some, some great people who hang out in the after show who have actually done some amazing things on this side, but this whole concept of putting together, you know, training videos and coaching programs that allow you to make money while you sleep. Um, they're definitely not as good as the client being able to have you one-on-one -on -one. But it seems like it would be a logical, great fit for your industry when you have these small guys and be like, you know what, I can't really help you because you're not where you need to be. But here's, you know, a coaching program. It's only instead of my $300 an hour, it's $99 a month. Um, and you don't get me live, but you've got, you know, a library Access, of 100 like good videos. content. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we're working on building that. So I have, so I, you know, my, 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 my. Marquee thing, right, was I, I was the kind of initiated or started using the use of location for nonprofits to track with and without donor restriction. Which is okay, what does that break that down for someone who's <laughs> for the simple, the simple one here. If you need it, that made you super excited and everybody else is just like, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't know. Sorry if I can say that. I'm like, yes, um, you can you fucking can. swear as much as you fucking want here. <laughs> okay. um, you know, Stop fucking swearing, you two. That's a great field in QBO, right? We can run a balance sheet by location. We can run a PL by location. And knowing where restricted funds are is a huge deal for nonprofits. So I did a webinar. I did it at QuickBooks Connect. I've done it a few other times. I just did it as a live webinar on like how to do it, how to set it up, how to troubleshoot it back in November and now like that's available on demand on my website mm -hmm. we recorded it and it's sort of like it's super fun because like I'll like up in the morning like somebody bought your thing <laughs> uh, you know and so I would love to be able to like do more of that. that yeah and I've got so this is you guys oh this is not public in the world anywhere before before well, it's this about to be now <laughs> we got like thousands, thousands and thousands of followers so you like better be careful what you say watch this or something us we got eight tonight um, come on so with um in partnership with ufama ogaga i don't know if, if you know her she's, no, her. she's, she's wonderful i met her in salt lake she's really yeah. cool awesome and we are gonna host a round, so it's kind of like round table with training wheels. We're gonna host a round table under the auspices of Richard Ropa Roberts round table. Lab. Oh, you, you lost me at Richard. Oh, <laughs> Just kidding. I love, who, who doesn't love Richard? Only mean people. Yes, yeah. mean uh, people. No, I, he, Richard's been on, we've had him on. He's, he's a very dear friend. And he's though. a huge fan of sportball. So he is, is working with, and Kristen um, Nice Seralto is working with him on kind of the back end 
Um, Cause it's something I've wanted to do, but you're like, that's a lot of maintenance and like stuff to figure out. And they're like figuring out all the stuff and Ufama and I just have to show up. I'm oh, nice. You know, I'm writing her name down right now because we're always I'm looking for future guests. Yeah. She would be awesome. She's uh, yeah. she's quite the character. I remember. Yeah. I've never met her. I, I'm she's so, really cool. Like I really yeah. would like to. Yeah. She's really nice. She's awesome. So we're going to, so that's kind of the first thing I'm going to do. From Georgia, correct? Is she from yep. the Atlanta area? Yep. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just, I, I book all the talent. So, so I, it sounds uh, like you're, you're sort of working towards that and that's on your agenda. I, I know that feeling yeah. of like, this is something I want to do, but then you're so consumed with your day to day. Like we were talking on before we went live earlier about how I think as accountants, so many of us struggle with the fact that we never feel like we have enough time in the day and, and that there's, you know, we have this vision of, okay, if I just get here, then I'll be okay. And everything will be mapped out and I'll have all the time to work on all these sideline projects, but you never really seem to get there. Right. It's the, it's this constant, like we have so much on our plate and it's stressful. Right. I think, you know, as we come into tax season right now, I think it's important to note that, you know, one of the things that's interesting, you know, we have, one of the highest suicide rates of any profession out there. Um, and we're going through a pretty tough time and people are at emotional um, lows, like they've never been before, right? You know, we've got so many people, I know your kids are a little bit older now, but so many people who are struggling with kids who are at home and trying to go through education while trying to manage their business. And now they've got tax season. How do you manage stress when you go through these difficult times other than hoping you get T-boned? <laughs> And I, I realized, like, as you were saying, we have the highest suicide rate of any industry. And, like, I laughed. And, like, people are like, what the hell is up with her? It's like, that's because we were talking earlier about how I was wishing I would get T-boned and have an opportunity to rest. Um, I very rarely crawl under my desk and cry anymore. <laughs> it's been at least a week. <laughs> it's, been, nah, it's probably been a good year, right? I think that's been a year. I think yoga like any kind of mindfulness helps you know um yoga yep. helps brad you and i have done zoom or noom yeah that, I, that, I, I, that, I'm, a, I'm a new like, i wouldn't i probably would never have done it if yeah. it wasn't for the pandemic it's so weird it's like why did it take a freaking pandemic to make me realize and it really did indirectly because it's all this you know the 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 fear of the virus i'm not saying to be scared and terrified and everything but it is serious i mean come on look at the world's going through but to, at the early stage to hear about how poor habits and poor health really contribute to to a bad outcome if you do catch it and i was like i don't want this damn thing and if i do i want to be healthy enough to fight it off and that's where it started and i know other people who've done the same thing um, whether it be weight loss or like you, you've been saying more mindfulness. I'm trying that. Um, I'm not the most mindful guy, I guess, because it's taken me a while, but I'm trying, you know, I'm trying a few things, but it's cool to watch so many people find ways to adjust. It's yeah. human nature, right? We we've been adjusting in our own ways. We've all got different types of struggles. Like I, I was thinking about this yesterday and Andrew and I commiserate about this all the time. But it really, I realized just how badly I miss people. Oh, Because I have so yeah. many amazing people in my life 
and to not be able to see them on a regular basis, whether it be my local community, obviously my QuickBooks community, the international community. Investor community. I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen people. You know, I, mm-hmm. I do all these walks. Everyone knows that I walk, you know, 10 miles a day or whatever. But I, I'm in this mode where I, I, I have my headphones on. I'm listening to whatever I'm listening to. And I'm looking away from people, you know, mm-hmm. because social distancing is all about, you know, steering. Remember clear. Brad, an extro- extroverted accountant is someone who looks at someone else's shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm just, I just find I'm missing that so much, having to be able to sit in a room with one or two or 10 or 50 of my best friends and just look around the room and go, this is where I want to be right now. You know, I I look back to QuickBooks Connect in San Jose, you know, five years down there, every minute I'm down there, I cherish it because I'm around all these awesome people and it's been over a year and that's just made it, it's made it tough. But I have to say that I think the virtual community, like the whole, you know, what does Jessica, it's like the whole society of pro advisory, right? Having that as a virtual community has made a huge difference. Yes. I had not, and, it, and it's like, and we built it pre COVID, right? We yeah. built. We were already doing it. So the adjustment. We are so was lucky we had this. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause we, I, I don't know how you'd adjust because if all of a sudden your business is strongly impacted and you've got a traditional business, then what do you do? You got no one to really talk to and, and Hey, how are you getting through this? What it would blows me away. I'm not a tax guy. Everyone knows I'm not a practitioner. I don't do tax and year end, but obviously I watch my clients having to go through all the different stimulus programs and all the different incentives and everything going on. And it blows me away how our industry has risen up. Mm-hmm. On both sides of the border and in the UK and in Australia and watching how the leadership in our community is, is risen up to help out others who might not know how to deal with it. Right. Other bookkeepers are like, I don't know where to begin. You know, what do I do? And it's been really heartwarming to, to see how people have well, risen up. And not only in the, in the support of like, this is how you deal with PPP. This is how you deal with wage subsidy. This is how you deal with whatever, government program that you were dealing with that is driving everyone bonkers but it's just the like changes every few weeks right like the the friday night lives hanging out with people and like being able to like socialize like as much as i would much prefer to be like hanging out with you guys in person it's still like having friday night live for me has been that emotional boost that i need every week oh, I hear and you. and as brad knows we hang out here after the show and i have way too many drinks and <laughs> it's just like that support and that community which we as megan you said we had prior to covid that so many people don't have and i have even team members who are struggling with emotional health like um you know people who are young locked in their condos with nobody That'd be hard nobody no support community at all and you know i think when we talk about how you cope through these struggles because you know there's light at the end of the tunnel with with these vaccines but it's still like i mean it's a ways away it's still a long ways off and and it's it's getting you know lockdowns are getting heavier and you know it it it's it's just people are out of energy at least i'm out of energy um and i have had this amazing community but I'm running out of energy to maintain this. Yeah. And so for me, you know, when we talk about nooming and, and, and which 
very much I was inspired by Brad and his success. But for me, a lot of it was I wanted to have something that I could take control of when I felt like I had no control. Yeah. I think that's why I did it because it yeah. was like, wow, I'm going to do. And it's really like the physical thing is one thing, but it's actually changed my just the way I look at things. Yeah. I've become kind of OCD, which is freaking weird because I'm a disaster when it comes to now. It's like I want things a certain way. And I've, and it's weird how it's. I said no it, butter, no yeah. butter. <laughs> but it's 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 actually it's it's been a good thing because you know i've i've worked on little things along the way that i've just been putting off putting off putting off the downside is there's other things that i've just kind of lost passion for and i don't the, the regular stuff that made up the old routine don't interest me anymore and it's but that's just, okay Life yeah no that is okay because you i look at change I, and you become a different person you know that's if you would have said to me in april brad you're gonna lose over 100 pounds in the next nine or ten months what do you think about that and i would laugh it's like yeah what are you gonna do throw you know throw me in a gym and get me a personal cut trainer. Off a leg. <laughs> yeah exactly i was like no freaking way and then it just started and it just never stopped again you know it was just finding it um something new and it's just I just, I think everyone has been um, affected in different ways. And there is a lot of positive stuff. Like we're going to be able to, I say it time and time again, we're going to be able to come out of this and look back and go, that sucks. But here's something really good that came out of it, either societal or at the community level or, you know, just people in general, you know, there's always a silver lining. Yeah, exactly. Cloud accounting, it's the silver lining. Exactly. The arts organizations that have had to take their stuff online, and that means all of a sudden it's open to people around the world. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And and famous people are saying, you know what, I can't be doing this, I can't be doing that, but they're they're even trying other things online and realize that, and people are going, this is really cool, I can hang out with so-and-so. I just um, got invited to Clubhouse in the last week and a half or so, and then- What's that? Brad, you're doing it. You just got invited. Andrew, are you doing Clubhouse? Yeah, I invited Andrew. I, I, Brad invited me. Um, I'm doing it now. I'm, I'm a newbie still. I, I, I hung out with Blake. I had my first accounting. Okay. I listened um, to you guys. I, I sat and listened to you guys for a bit. It's it's interesting because you can have these spontaneous conversations. They're almost like live podcasts, right? I like it. I, I, think, yeah. I think it's going to be big. I know, like, it was from... Uh, interesting listening to Niall, who was like basically like, Yeah, dude, you guys are like so like <laughs> behind the times. I've been on this since November. I'm yeah, like, oh, and Tamitha Denye, same thing. She was telling me how awesome it was. I said, Oh, just what I need is another social media platform to be That's on. Kind of my response It's where I've been. It's like, Oh, God, like I need another distraction from all the shit I gotta do. But there's well, some that, cool that's content. The hard part is, is, is it's it is the distraction. So, literally, yeah. I saw. Blake and um and Michael Lee and and a few other names come up and I I I'd been on it for a little while but when I saw this I was like I got to I've got to you know this is my first accounting one I've got to go and I was like literally already 5 minutes late for a meeting and I hopped on and I stayed on for another 20 minutes and was a full on 20 minutes late for my meeting now you put your client behind clubhouse it, it, it wasn't Uh-oh. a client. Sorry, it, Andrew. Okay. It was, it was a meeting with Jose. So it but was still, so he's your staff and he's important it, and you and blew him off. I, I, go, I was on teams like, hey, dude, I'm, you know, I've got something going on. Give me 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm in a meeting. Well, actually, I think I said, give me five minutes. And then I said, give me five more. And then give me five more. And then he knows you well more. enough, Andrew. 
but I can totally see how it would be a time suck and how it would. Well, it pops up all of a sudden saying so and so is talking about this. And, you know, Elon Musk the other day popped in just out of the blue, started talking about something. And, all, and you know, half the world that is on Clubhouse is listening to Elon Musk in real time, just ad libbing. You know, this is what's on Elon's mind right this minute. You can. And that's what that. I thought was so cool. And I've been on some really fun ones with some tech startup people. Oh, there's a like, lot of big cow, names. This is giving me Silicon Valley. To people I would never, yes. ever yeah. be able to. The big, it's the big VC uh, um, connections in Silicon Valley. And they used it to communicate with each other. It was, it's super exclusive amongst them, right? The, the Silicon Valley. Well, not anymore. Used it. <laughs> no, well, they're there. opening it up slowly, but it's still, remember, it's only iPhone right now. It's only iPhone and it's still invite only. And if you look at, you know, follower accounts on some of the more famous people there, they're not that high because there's not that many people in there. So I find it interesting to be kind of in at this lower level to and kind of learn it as you go. Um, and then the challenge is, you know, they give you invites and it's like, well, who has an iPhone? I don't know. So I go out and I'm sending text messages saying, hey, you're on the iPhone or what? Because it is cutting out a big chunk of our community too. But at the same time, oh, well, I've got an iPhone, so I'm there. Well, and the funny thing is I tried to invite Alicia um, and apparently she can't get in. Uh, I don't know why. And her she, last name, Alicia Pollock? Pardon me? No, Pollock. Yeah, but is she on an iPhone? She's on an iPhone, but she yeah. she said it won't accept her name for some reason, and she's like, "Is that a derogatory term?" I'm like, "I wonder if they're thinking like Polak, like a derogatory name for Polish, maybe." But they won't let her in, That's even weird. though I gave her an invite. I don't and there's why. not really much in the way of tech support, so um... no. And it could also be human error. Odds are, somewhere along the line, I screwed up. Maybe I like typed her name wrong, and now it's like trying to well, autocorrect and 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 she can't get in because I, well, I i found that if it's somehow fake yeah i'm not sure i've had yeah. a few invites that i keep pestering people it's like look these things are hard to come by accept it will you you know because the only one i've ever so far is alicia me, i guess i would come because i've kind of if anyone's out there and needs an invite and they want to be on so are you you would need an invite I would or need no you're on i'm not on I'll, I'll send you an invite because I think there I have, you go. He, he, I he just needs more. your uh, he just needs your your uh, your cell, cell number. number. So we'll get that off in the after show. He or puts it into his it contact list. The they drill into it. People that are watching. <laughs> no, but it, it is an interesting platform. It really is this spontaneous, and it's got all the subgroups and people are talking about interesting topics. It's like it's spontaneous. I think I think it will be too. Twitter seven years ago right where i mean it's still i think you can you can connect with people you can punch way above your weight class on yes that that's exactly it you can punch way above your weight class and that is powerful you and know? even if it's just to, just to consume yeah, yeah. Right? normally i'm not i'm not a well, big i'm kind of stalking right now and the other day i think niall i was actually busy I, I can't remember what i was doing but i saw these familiar names pop up and then niall elevated me i think it was the discussion you were in andrew um, to a speaker They're like no i don't want to say anything i just want to <laughs> lurk and you can't really stalk because your face is down there ah! and, and everyone sees you it's not like you can hide in the weeds so i was like oh and then there's that button that says leave quietly yeah. <laughs> i said okay i guess i'm gonna leave quietly <laughs> i'm out but or it, it definitely is when that notification pops up and you recognize five names are in a group and they're all hanging out it's like all right i gotta be there 
Yeah, exactly. You do get sucked into that and it could definitely be a time suck. So everyone out there in the community, let's make sure that we're only going on to clubhouse after work yeah. hours. Yes. And, <laughs> and for people like that don't know what it is, decision that we will do clubhouse when we're after hours work for the day. So people that don't know what it is, it's voice only. So you can only talk. There's no video. There's no text chat. You have to talk. And so Andrew and I played around with it last week after FNL. We just went on. The two of us had a communication. It was like a, a voice chat. It was super easy to do. You know, you, everyone's got their phone. I say it's iPhone only. And then you can have six people in there all doing the same thing. They, you'd be walking around. I'm going to do it instead of podcasts, I think. I'm going to listen in on talks because you can schedule them. Have you ever used that, Andrew? Have I ever used what? Well, you get notification. There's going to be a talk tomorrow at 2 p.m. So-and-so is going to talk about this. Do you want to be notified? And they, and, and they will, you, you'll be notified when they go live. And you can actually put it on your calendar if you really want to block off the time to go. So if there is a conversation on some marketing strategy you're interested in, some guy you from- You can schedule it. Yeah, you can schedule it. I, I tried it once just to see. And, it, and it, it got to my Google calendar quite easily. And- Anyways, it's just interesting because you got all these really smart people talking about cool stuff. And like you guys just said, you can punch above your weight class because it, you can get into these conversations. You can raise your hand and they'll invite you into them. That's what I've noticed. So, and But there's a whole bunch of like, there, there's a whole bunch of aspects. I still don't know the platform. We, we, we got to get Niall back to like school us on how to use this because there's like different groups and rooms and stuff like that. Yeah, I joined I some groups. It's an amazing thing, but um, um, I want to take a little bit of a, a sidebar um, um, because Hector actually messaged me earlier today um, and wanted to hear our feedback on what is a, a new program in the U.S. or potentially something that's been proposed that Biden wants to do to, um, to cut student debt. Um, and I guess really the question really needs to come to you, Megan, because we're both Canadians. We're both Canadians. Yeah, cut it all, Canada. cut it all. But um, but have bad. you have you heard about what this yeah, you know proposal okay. is? The fifty thousand dollars that they're going to potentially shave in student debt. Um, what's your take on that? I mean, in in an era where obviously the government has been spending money hand over fist to support business, is this the right thing to do? Is it the wrong thing to do? I think there's pros and cons to it um i think to be honest as an education snob personally um i think that it's i think it's a good thing because uh, you know my personal take on it is when we look at what the cost of tuition has done in the last you know decade two decades three decades the price of tuition has risen especially in disproportionate america to to inflation yeah. it's risen substantially faster especially in um, the us andrew it's we 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 think so up here but in, in the well, states and there's you know there's talk too there's a whole line of thinking that the ease of getting federal of of getting student loans is what has driven up the cost of inflation of of education interesting because like you know because it was like when I went to college, right? The only loans you, and this has been a couple of years ago, the only year loans you could get were federally insured student loans. No bank was just giving yeah. you a loan to go to college, right? That was not a thing. And the most you could get over a four year period was 10 grand. 
So it's almost like a grant or a, or a really yeah. but, but it wasn't it wasn't yeah. enough to cover your entire four year tuition. Oh, let alone room and board, books, all the other things over and above tuition, right? Like we know anyone who's been to university knows tuition is just the starting point. Oh yeah. Right. And yet uh, that was, and so I maxed that out. And that is a like you could get three times that in a year now. Right. Mm -hmm. It took me 10 years to pay that back. Yeah. You know, and, I don't know how like the handcuffs were putting on our kids with these education loans, but you know, but it's like at the same time, everything is nuts, right? Like you'll have a job as a administrative assistant require a college degree. It's like, I'm sorry, that job does not require a college degree. Yeah, so and it's, good point. it's interesting how we are still so snobbish about education and I'm guilty of this myself. When we live in a digital era where there's so much free information where people can learn and acquire whatever skills they want Right. by going to the University of Google uh, right. or the University of YouTube um, and getting probably as good, if not a more practical education than any university is ever going to deliver. Yet we all put on our job descriptions, must have a BA, must have a CPA, must have, you name what the specific skill set is. We are looking for people and we are evaluating them, you know, and with my new hires and I was telling you guys, I've hired some two new staff and, you know, I was looking at their, their, their resumes and I was looking at their CVs and I was looking at their, um, their transcripts to see how did you do in school. And, and the reality is just because someone did amazing in school, and this was really interesting going through the interview process, is people who I was like, on paper, these guys are amazing. In real world, the people who impressed me were not necessarily the people who had the amazing grades. I didn't hire the person who had the best grades in the class. I ended up hiring the person who had the best communication and who impressed me the most. Best fit overall. Technical but, knowledge is But everything. we've built this society that basically says, if you want a career, you need to go to university or at least college. And you need to have that rubber stamp that says, I have achieved this level of education, which doesn't necessarily, we all know, I mean, anyone who went to university know there was brilliant people in university and there was fucking idiots. Well, you right? know what, Just like, you could be a brilliant, like, okay, and I'm coming from, I, I, I've got my own biases here, right? Um, but I know, like, I, my two older sons, who are the two that are college age, neither, both of them started, neither of them have graduated, but both of them are lifelong learners, right? They actually got pissed off about college because they felt that the class, they didn't have time to actually learn the thing. Yeah. Like they gave that. enough of a taste. They wanted you to test. They wanted to move on. And my guys are like, I want to go deep on that thing. And, and, you know, typical school didn't allow for that. I always think like when I'm hiring, the one quality I look for the most is curiosity. Yes. Yes. You know it's, it's, it's the number one thing on my core values. It's curiosity, so, like, knowledge, innovation, systematic communication, and inclusiveness. Like, but yeah. curiosity. But you can't teach it, right? I can teach yeah. you how to use QuickBooks. I can teach you how to do accounting, but I can't teach you to be curious and ask, why am I doing this? And know how to do a Google why? search for God's <laughs> sake, people. <laughs> you know, there was a study. What, golly, what book was this in? I'm trying to remember, but they, oh. I wish I could, like, I'm the worst name dropper in the world because I cannot remember people's names, but this was a fabulous <laughs> book and I will find it later. But the task was they were um, doing the study and they like, 
in some like Indian call center and they were trying to figure out like why did some people do so much better in the call center than other people? And they like analyzed all of this data, right? And then they asked like a weird question because they could. Like, what browser did you use to fill out the application? Right. And what they discovered is people who used like Chrome or Firefox tended to do much better in their jobs. Because they were more comfortable with technology, probably because they well, realized that, that Microsoft is neither one of those, <laughs> right? Because those browsers don't come with your computer. Right. Yes. Right? You, yes. If you're on a Windows machine, you get you got Internet Explorer. If you were on a Mac, you got Safari. And so those were all people who had been willing to take a little bit of effort in order to have an incremental improvement in their experience. They had been willing to like look at what was thrown in front of them and go, you know, I'm willing to do a little bit of work to get something a little bit better. Not even like exponentially better, just a little bit better. So PS, there's a great interview question when you're hiring. What browser, <laughs> browser do you use? Did you apply with? Did you, <laughs> you use? Yeah. That's such an interesting tidbit, but it, it it aligns, it makes perfect sense. You're you're absolutely right. Like if people are gonna make take that step to download another browser because they know their experience is going to be so much better. Mm -hmm. That's so intuitive to how they're going to work with right. everything. I'm going to look for ways that I can make it my life easier, which is what we're looking for in team members, right? Yep. We're looking for people who will think and come up with ways to make their life easier, right? The whole reason that we use QBO and all these amazing things is because they make our life easier, yep. right? Exactly. It's, and I think it was into it who introduced me to the to the mantra that fall in love with the the problem, not the solution. Exactly. Right? Um, and and the solution may change. It, maybe it's Google and Chrome today, and well, it's going you know, to change. We know it's going that. to change, right? Yeah. You know, it was it was what the question is, right? Where you're you're asking is like, okay, documenting or whatever. Like, this is what we're trying to achieve here. Because if you keep your eyes on that goal, then the how can change Yes. based on technology, but the why is the same thing. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's, that's exactly it. It's like, that's their way of saying you fall in love with the problem yep. or you fall in love with the why, the purpose, mm -hmm. the reason, not the how. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that sometimes it's really easy to fall into the trap of focusing on the how. Yep. Right. And I think also, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, okay, this is, you know, why are you doing that? That's because I've always done that. That's that people who, <laughs> whose answer is why are you doing that? That's, that's how we've always done it because they're focused on the how, not the why. Well, have you guys done that, that like ham story? No, what's that? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a girl story. Right. But it was like, Oh, you know, Christmas or whatever. They like the mom would come over and they would cut the ham in half and they would put it in the pan and like, and it's like someone goes, why are we cutting the ham in half? Like, I don't know. Grandma always did it. Because we always have, yeah. And it's like, they go to grandma's like, why did you cut the ham in half? Like, Because my pan was only this big. And she was like, you go back like three generations and that's exactly the answer. It's like, well, that was the only way it would fit into my pan. <laughs> but everybody's done it ever since then, right? Yeah. Without asking like, why are we doing this? And does this still make sense? Does it get us where we're trying to go? And that is so like, synonymous with the accounting industry so, like so many accounting and financial professionals do everything yeah. because that's just the way it's been done 
And it's, it is so refreshing to have minds like you, Megan, and minds like you, Brad, and so many minds in our community who are like, we, we, we don't so have to do what we did before. Like, let's think creatively. Let's focus on the why, not the how. Exactly. Like, kind of, I mean, this is maybe not the room to say it, but like I, many, several of my favorite accountants did not start off as accountants. Mm-hmm. Right. And partially because in the nonprofit sphere, 40% of us are accidental, but like some of the most innovative accountants I know started off as women's studies majors or yeah. philosophy majors or dance majors or theater majors and, and came to accounting later. Cause the cool thing about accounting and it's like a bunch of people that like stopped doing math in 10th grade because they didn't like math, <laughs> yeah. but discovered that they love accounting because accounting isn't math, it's puzzles. The math is yeah. easy, it's, it's add, subtract, puzzles. multiply, divide. Yeah. Well, I think Megan, you hit the nail on the head is I think that so many people think that accounting is not creative and it's not puzzles. They think, they think it's black and white ones and zeros. Um, and you're in the back room, punching numbers, doing the same thing. They don't recognize that there is a whole creative side. And I was guilty of that. I, you know, I may be one of those people who didn't come from the, the traditional path to become an accountant. I had a father who was an accountant who's, who pushed me towards accounting. And the more he pushed me, the more I went away from it. Right. Um, traditional, um, you know, anyone who knows me knows, if you want me to do something, tell me I can't do it. If you don't want me to do something, tell me I must do it, right? Like that's <laughs> that's the secret to Andrew. So if anyone wants to know how to like control my mind, if you want me to do something, tell me not to do it. If you don't want me to do it, me- do not ride that hoverboard down that escalator, <laughs> Andrew. Oh, so, yeah. okay, I guess I'm going down the, down the escalator. Everyone knows that story in Toronto a few years back. Yeah. But but I, I think that, that that whole mantra that accounting is is traditional is wrong and especially especially in in right now in this mm-hmm. unique period of time that we are sitting in where the industry is evolving and technology is changing and it, it requires more creativity than ever before and accountants are now not just um, people who are responsible for financial filing financial statements and preparing financial statements and filing tax returns they're responsible for helping businesses grow and succeed and think creatively. And I think that that creativity is not something that people realized was a part of our profession and why, uh, like you said, people who don't naturally come from the accounting stream, the mathematics stream actually are the ones who end up being so successful because they come with a creative mindset. So like you talked about yourself, you know, coming from a more creative sort of background that is a tremendous asset to your clients and to you as a business owner is because you think outside the box you aren't just going what's one plus one yeah you're going well what are the different ways that i can get to two okay i'm gonna because i think in some ways though when you hear creative accounting, we get nervous. <laughs> yeah, it's because you think tax yeah. law. Hey, hey, Andrew, ask the one plus one question again. Is what do you want it to be? Yeah, right? exactly. That's but the I, best answer. But I think we have the opportunity. So probably one of the more powerful books I read last year is a thing called um, Accounting for Slavery. And hey, it's Black History Month. Okay, that's controversial. Uh, <laughs> but, but I want to hear but it. I know, a lot of like a lot of 
the modern accounting practices that in our minds we say came out of early industrialization, like early factories and stuff, actually came out of the largest businesses of their time, which were the sugar plantations of the Caribbean. Right. You know, and like the earliest, like some of the earliest um, recorded appreciation of assets or depreciation of assets was actually around enslaved people. This is interesting. Okay. Yeah. And they would document like, you know, obviously you're not worth that much as a baby, but as you get older, your value increases. And at a certain point, if you're injured, if you're sick. Well, that's fucked up, but real. But also sort of efficiency studies too, right? Yeah. They would measure, you know, excruciatingly like what the most productive people did and then set that as a, as a, you know, a floor for the other people to try to reach. And yeah. they had all these ledgers because the owners were in England and the people were, that were running it were on the island. Um, so they were having to communicate that with ledgers and numbers and reports. Yeah. And, and like, it, it's fascinating because they actually show the actual ledger books. And when the factories started to be built in the, you know, taking all that cotton and using it to make, fabric in the early factories of the north um northeast but you couldn't control the workforce in the same way like so it sounds know, like an interesting document I mean, them struggling because like ah we can't just force the workforce to do what we want them to do and i think some of that carries into management accounting too it's like how do how does the way we account for what we do maintain systems that we may not want to continue to support Mm -hmm. you know how do we how do we account differently if the result we want is different so here's we're amazingly enough down to the last five minutes what um but i think i'd love to hear your thoughts on um what what do we do wrong in the accounting industry, or at least historically do wrong um, from your perspective that needs a shift. And I'm not talking about what is our little safe community of forward thinking people. I'm talking the mass generic, you know, accounting firms, the traditional firms, uh, traditional bookkeepers. What are they doing wrong from a systematic process that we need to think differently and do differently in the future? I mean, I think a huge part of our industry is compliance. And we we tick those boxes without asking who they who the boxes serve. You know, what is what's the what's the why? What's the why? And the things that we're asked to comply with. Um who does it, who does it benefit? Who does it control? You know, I, I, I kind of come from this perspective that not necessarily everything's connected, but lots of things are like not in a conspiracy theory kind of way, but things connect. Oh, I don't want to hear about a conspiracy theory. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, I've fallen but, those conspiracy but things, but things connect, right? And it's like, okay, if I, you know, I, like I come out a lot in the nonprofit sphere because that's where I live. And 
um, a lot of the compliance around nonprofits is the way that we also is, is about control. Uh-huh. We don't trust them the same way we don't trust poor people so that we set a lot more rules around them. Um, modern nonprofits, like we used to have kind of community-based stuff, right? Like we would, when folks moved to Canada for the first time, all of the poles got together and supported the other poles and did sort of these neighborhood houses to help the newcomers succeed. Um, But yet modern philanthropy seems to have come out really of the Gilded Age and like some people with like huge amounts of wealth and rather than being taxed, they created structures where they could donate their income to foundations. For tax reasons more than Tax reasons and then use it to fund nonprofits but also maintain control, right? And there's actually, Andrew Carnegie has a whole manifesto about that, about basically thought, you know, well, well, we're smart, we're richer because we're smarter and therefore we should be the ones who are able to make the decisions for y'all that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. and, and you still see that kind of in philanthropy where like the people with the money are the foundations and they're the ones that want to set the programs and tell us what you should do. And that's the whole thing. What's hey, funny, but you know, is was, get to control where the money goes. Yeah, but you know, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, Jeff Bezos, ex-wife, she had, you know, they've got billions yeah. and she just gave a whole bunch of money and she says, I don't want to know what you're going to do with it. She allowed a whole bunch of NPOs to tap into these, these funds. She said, you don't have to be accountable to me. You get the money, do what you need, yeah. do what you need. And, and you know, I'm sure they had no, no, not but at all. Like, but they, I mean, they're worth so much money. But I do mean, we want to rely on, I mean, I mean, there's certain things I'm like, I get that should rely on donations, right? Like, okay. Arts maybe that has always had rich patrons, but like whether people have a place to live yeah. or right. and they eat, do we want that to be dependent on the, you know, on the whim of a rich person? True. Right, yeah. Or do we want a system that maybe supports people better? But, but that'll definitely drive us right back into the political issue, which we've been cautioned. We've done a really good job not doing that. So um, I know, Andrew, we're going to. You, you never give me the opportunity to say who we're going to have next week. Next week, we got the lovely Liz Scott and Heather Satterley. We're going to talk about something near and dear to Andrew and, and I. Um, well, we got to go to England with them two years ago around this time to go to QuickBooks Connect. And we we went uh, with uh, they went with the Intuit development team. They were guests of them. We were invited by um, by uh, come to think, Nick. Andrew, what? Nick. But the yeah the the British side and it just happened into us said hey the four of you are going over would you mind hanging out we're like well Heather and Liz what could go wrong you know it was a riot they're such wonderful people and uh, we're gonna have them next week yeah I'm I'm excited to have those ladies back we had a lot of fun in London and I don't know what's been yes, going on this year but see London just seems to be all over my radar this year mm-hmm. I'm like. It's one of those memories on Facebook that keeps popping Well, it's up. the memories on Facebook, but I just, I keep seeing London everywhere. Yeah. My daughter just did this project for school where she had to do this AutoCAD drawing and she did the London eye. It was her choice for what she, I'm like, why did you choose that? I'm like, there's something. Got a London screensaver. is calling. London is we got calling. a screensaver, Andrew, on Apple TV. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but they got the screensaver that'll kick in. And they, they do these aerials of places all over the world. And they try and capture the time, like what it looks like right now. 
and they do London and they go, they do this flyover the river Thames right at that spot near the, the near tower the bridge the tower that we bridge. hung out at the fish market there, the Billingsgate fish market. That's where the, the venue was. And I can see it in this area all the time, all the places we hung out anyways. We yeah, should really get Annie along for that too. It's going to be a great we? episode next week. And Megan, thank you so much thank for, you so for much. joining and 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 talking uh, openly, honestly, and and having a discussion. I think that's a great book you recommended. It's it's so interesting to hear, and I think really timely with Black History Month. Um, obviously, I don't think it's appropriate for three white people to be talking about Black History, uh, but obviously, we all know the three of us. We all think the same way. We, we know all care. Important. We totally. all care. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's an interesting conversation to have. I'd love to get we, Brad, hopefully make sure you're going to make sure that we've got some, um, great, uh, people of color, uh, hopefully as, as much as I'm looking forward to talking to Liz and, and Heather, we got to make sure we get some people of color for, for the month of February. Um, because I think it's important to hear their perspective on whether black history month is a good thing or a bad thing, but I'll leave that out there. It's, it, it's an interesting topic and there's two sides of the fence. And what's been interesting to hear is, um, and, and I know I'm getting political for a moment again, um, but what's been trending up here in Canada is a lot of black history people going, well, we shouldn't have a black history month. Black history should just be a part of fucking history. Right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, those are the people that are saying all lives matter. No, no, this is coming from no. the black community. Just every day. Oh, okay. Like it should just be history. It 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 should yeah. we don't need a black history month. It should just be part of fucking history, right? Like which good, I can appreciate point. and understand. And and I think, you know, we hear a few stories about Viola Davis, and obviously we, everyone knows who Malcolm X is, but there are so many parts of what happened around slavery, around real issues with like when we talk about housing and what happened there. Again, I know Brad. You're probably telling me stop talking politics, and we're already a minute, two minutes over. Well, no, all about politics in the after show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Hey, we and we put the links in there. Um, everyone's free to join, so come on in and hang out with Megan and uh, and her and bring a special drink along. Yeah, bye for now, everybody. See all right, week. see you next week.